Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. As many of you know, I live in Orange County, California. And if my great-grandmother from Alabama was still alive and she came to visit me, she would probably say, Woo, boy, those people are just skin and bones. I mean, they need to eat some of my fried chicken and okra. And I would say, yes, that is absolutely true. I would love some of your fried chicken and okra because I live in the land of skinny people. We have every kind of boutique fitness studio you can imagine. Zumba, hot yoga, spin, Pilates, boxing, bar. I don't even know what that is. B-A-R-R-E is what it's called. I see it on signs. I have no idea. But there is an absolute obsession with outward appearance. When I travel to other parts of the United States, it's not so much like that. I mean, maybe in major metropolitan areas, but kind of throughout the U.S., people are just all different shapes and sizes. And I wonder a lot about how our culture treats people who don't look like fitness models on the cover of a magazine. Now, I am definitely no expert on this subject, nor do I have all the answers when it comes to body size or health or all the accompanying conversations. But I realize that I have my own prejudices when it comes to people who are different than me. And these prejudices prevent me from meeting, interacting with, and experiencing the awesomeness of a lot of people. I just admit it. I realize that I have prejudices in this area and other areas that, you know, it's a constant awareness process and learning from other people. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm committed to having conversations with inspiring people particularly women, whose life experiences are different than my own. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to Bex Bedford. She's a self-acceptance champion, body-positive activist, public speaker, and entrepreneur. In 2013, Bex started her vlog channel on YouTube, and it quickly gained traction, garnering hundreds of thousands of views. In her videos, she speaks frankly about all facets of life as a person of extended size, her struggles and triumphs with self-love and self-acceptance, and topical commentary on current events in the plus-size world. Now, her initial YouTube channel was named Being an SSBBW, Supersized Big Beautiful Woman. Yet, Bex began to feel like the acronym no longer represented her message, but felt more exclusive, focusing too much on looks, size, and gender. So in 2019, Bex made the leap to change her brand to Bex Bedford, which affords her the ability to just be herself, not bound by any one notion or group, allowing her to be her true authentic self. So in this episode, you're going to learn all about the journey of self-acceptance that Bex has been through, how Bex responds to people making fun of her in public and online, a bit about Bex's dating experiences, which I was courageous enough to ask about. And of course, you can find all the links to Bex's website, YouTube channel, and podcast in our show notes at insporising.com, or you can just find them on your phone, wherever you're listening to this podcast. I am super excited for you to meet Bex. Let's jump into my conversation. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with me today. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. I want to get right out from the very beginning that as we're talking about some of these issues, they can obviously be sensitive. And I am not the master of this language that you you are probably a master of. And Uh so I just want to ask for your grace and forgiveness up front if I say, a word or a phrase that's not helpful, feel free to just point it out and let me know. Okay. 
All right, okay. I will do that. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I know a word that you do use quite a bit, or a, an acronym, is SSBBW. And it was the first time that I had heard that acronym mm-hmm. as I was doing some research about you. First of all, for people who aren't familiar with what that is, what does it mean and why would you use that term? Okay. Um, why I use that term is um, many, many years ago when I was just starting to come out of my shell and we'll get, get to that later. Um, I was trying to find like people who were like me, like a community like me. Um, and also, you know, trying to find a way to describe myself. And as I was putting in like keywords, like I knew BBW, that's kind of like in pop culture, you know, Drake did a song about BBW. So I typed in, you know, BBW, which is big, beautiful woman. And, um, it came up with other, like other words like that. And one that came up was SSBBW, which means super size, big, beautiful woman. And because I'm of extended size, I was just like, okay, that's me. So when I'm like describing myself to people or dating or something, I could be accurate in what it is that I'm describing. So I kind of adapted that to myself. Um, and when I first started to get into YouTube, um, I, it was the first word that popped in my brain. It's not a term I really like, um, but it is something that it was been helpful for me in the beginning, kind of getting into this whole scene. Gotcha. Well, tell us a little bit about your own journey of self-acceptance, which I assume kind of began early in life. You're still a pretty young person, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about that journey. Um, you know, I've always struggled with weight my whole life, but, um, a big turning point for me was when I was like 18, 19 years old. Um, I went out to dinner with my sister and, uh, you know, I was a little bit overweight at the time. And, you know, at that age, you're just trying, you know, to figure out who you are and trying to get that kind of confidence in yourself. You're discovering. And as I was sitting in the restaurant with my sister, there was a table of young college boys you know, next to us. And they spent like a good 45 minutes just making fun of me. Mm. Just constant, like wow. the entire time. And I was devastated. You know, I tried to put on a brave face um, and it got really worse when I stood up to go pay the bill. Like then it was just like, you know, laughing. It was like really loud. And, you know, that really had a huge effect on me. Mm. So, um, after that, it was slowly at first, but within the first two years after that, um, I pretty much became a hermit. Um, I found a job where I could work third shift away from other people. There's nobody else in the building, but one other person, uh, nobody had to see me. Um, I bought a house away from my friend and family. I I stopped talking to them. Hmm. And for a good eight years, I was pretty much a hermit. The only time I would leave my house was to to go do my job where nobody saw me. Hmm. And um, it was... You know, I I wasted my whole twenties dealing with this, and and in the in those years, I also, um, you know, developed a food addiction because I really hated myself. Like, I just I thought that I was just this like subhuman, disgusting being. Like, nobody should have to lay their eyes on me. Mm. And um, the turning point for me came when I was out driving, and I was about to run out of gas on the side of the road, and I. Every gas station that I went to had people in it. And I was so afraid of people seeing me Hmm. that I was willing to run out of it. Like I'm sputtering because I couldn't find that one gas station, even paying at the pump, you know, that had nobody there pumping gas so that I can get gas myself. Hmm. And, um, and I realized like, I can't live this way. This, This isn't living. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I went to my doctors and I had previously gone to my doctors before about possibly getting weight loss surgery. And they, I was turned down twice because although I was over, that's the early age days of weight loss surgery, I didn't have anything wrong other than my size. So I didn't have high blood pressure or blood sugar or anything like that. So they kept turning me down. So finally I I tried again and um, they told me, okay, Rebecca, you still don't have anything wrong with you, but if you go six months therapy and six months, the doctor, you're going to the doctor every single month and you're doing therapy and they both concur that you need weight loss surgery, we will give it to you. We'll approve you. I was and like, is that the insurance age, the insurance yes. company is the yes. one that was not approved yeah. initially. Okay. Right. It was the inch and it was the insurance that came with these requirements. Like you have to do this in order for us to give you the go ahead to get this, the surgery. Gotcha. So I was like, yes. So I, you know, I talked to my doctor, I found a therapist and you know, it was really apparent within the first two sessions with my therapist, like, whoa, there was a lot of stuff that I was not dealing with. And I, you know, had some serious issues with that I needed to work through. And I definitely wasn't a candidate for weight loss surgery. Um, and it took me a while to speak the words, I have a food addiction and, and written like, you know, recognize that for myself, that that is a truth that I'm going to have to deal with. And, um, can I ask I was, you this? When you say I wasn't a, a candidate for weight loss surgery, is that because you had a food addiction and that it would just kind of be a relapse situation or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I felt like, and my therapist agreed that with the, the food addiction that at that time that there was just, it would have, I probably would have botched the surgery. I could have hurt myself. Mm-hmm. When you have weight loss surgery, you, you can only eat a certain amount of things. Right. And I was not mentally healthy enough to be able to follow the guidelines that would be necessary for weight loss surgery. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, and, you know, I still had a lot of things to work with, the stuff that I had repressed and things that, you know, I didn't want to speak out loud. And so I worked with her for a good four to five years. And it's a long time. And, um, and even though it took me a long time in therapy, and it took me a good two and a half years in therapy for me to even be able to go grocery shopping in a store, mm. you know, to give myself that permission that I'm a valued human to be able to go do this. So, um, she, helped how did me you do it before? Oh, I, I had a food addiction. So like, okay. So one of the things with food addictions is that you're obsessive. So I had this whole obsessive regime where I wouldn't go in a store, but I would get fast food and food delivery, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't just be like any kind of fast food or food delivery. Like I had to know, the employees who were working at each store so they wouldn't see me multiple times in a week or too often, or like the delivery guy couldn't see me too on who was working. Like, uh, you know, it's funny. I had a food addiction. I gained so much weight, but there would be days and days where I wouldn't eat anything because Hmm. it had the circumstances had to be just right Hmm. for me to be able to go get the food that I wanted. And then when I did, I kind of just sunk into this kind of euphoria, you know, obviously, um, it kind of hit all those spots in my brain. That's like, Oh yes. You know? Um, so there was definitely a behavior pattern that went along with the food addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to have things a certain way in order to be able to eat food. And, um, so it took me a long time to be able to go in a grocery store and actually buy food that I could cook and make and, you know, and, and, and actually it it took me a while because I started off going to the store like really early in the morning where there would be hardly anybody there. 
um, and ease myself into it. Um, it was probably a good 10 years after the restaurant incident before I went to a restaurant, probably over 10 years. Um, it was, it was really extreme. Like me letting people see who I was mm-hmm. and although therapy helped me a lot and it helped me um start to put myself out there when my therapy ended and I moved um I still had a lot of work I had to do with myself you know I still wasn't there yet and um I although I was still going I was going out into the world a little bit more I, I really had to continue to look within myself and get in touch with who I am and what my truth is mm. And once I was able to do that, I was able to get to a place and it's, it's a long, a lot of work, but I was able to get to that place of good or bad. Um, I can love myself and accept myself as to, as I am today, Mm. not tomorrow or the future or the Rebecca a hundred pounds later or with the job or whatever. Like I am worthy of love and kindness and respect and be able to live my life out loud today. And it, it, it took me a while to get that through my head. But once it did, like, whoa, the entire world opened to me. And, and now I'm on this crazy journey where I'm, I'm talking to people about it. <laughs> That's so amazing. Mm-hmm. So as that began to happen to you, where you started to come to that realization, what were some of the shifts in your lifestyle? Like you said, I, okay, I started going to the grocery store. What are some mm-hmm. other things that began to open up to you as possibilities? Um, I started to see my family, <laughs> you know, I see my friends. Like I allowed myself to start building relationships with people because I was so afraid to do that before, because then there would be an expectation of me if I was in a relate, like if I had friends or if I had family, because then they would expect me to come do things with them or, or be there for them in ways that there was no way that I could at that time. Um, another big shift was I started dating. And that was a huge, big step for me to actually try to start dating, considering I I thought for so long that I was just this horrible, disgusting person. Um, And so when I was having this confidence, I started dating. I was like, wow, this isn't so bad. (laughs) Like, it's not impossible for me to date and go on, you know, get into relationships and and, and, and do all these things. So that was a big thing. Um, Another one was uh, working a job that I was sincerely happy at and who valued my work ethic and my skill set. Because I stayed in a company for, for 10 years where I stayed there because I was comfortable. You know, I was very smart. I was driven. And, you know, I wanted so, so much to say, I want to be a supervisor. I want to go up in management. But that meant I'd have to work during the day and be around people. And that was just impossible for me to do. So, um, and. I felt like I wasn't valued as a person like there. So um, when I started going out into the world, I found a, a, a company that I absolutely love. I've been with them ever since. It's a young company um, and they value my skill set. I'm in you know, management now, like, like all those little things that I got. And I'm doing so many other things, not just my day job. I do voiceover work. I do my YouTube channel. So there's so many things that I'm doing that I never would have thought eight years ago that that would be possible. So it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. When someone says to you, someone who's not informed, educated, doesn't know you and says, and I'm assuming this is probably the most common thing that they would say, mm-hmm. 
why don't you just lose weight? Why don't you, you don't, right? I'm sure you've oh, heard, yeah. heard that a bazillion times. Oh yeah. I get that um, a lot. I get, um, a, I get a lot of hate, a lot of trolls on a daily basis. I'm it's, sure you do. We'll talk about that in a minute, but like okay. when, when somebody when says, says that says, to you, mm-hmm. like what goes through your mind when somebody says that to you? Um, Honestly, um, nothing now. Um, I just want to tell them why it is that I'm not, you know, what they think I'm losing weight. Well, guess what? I am losing weight. (laughs) It's a process. Um, From when I was at my biggest to now, I've lost 100 pounds. You know, I don't sit there every day and say I'm on a weight loss plan or um, I need to get down to a certain size. Um, it's, It's just learning to deal with my food addiction and, and trying to, you know, learn how to eat a good relationship with food and have that balance. And it's not going to be something that's overnight. They don't know my journey and they don't understand when they see me. And I understand that. And so, you know, old Rebecca would have been hurt and upset and, and want to like hide away. Now it's just, they don't know who I am. And, um, you know, I'll tell them, you know, you, you don't know what my journey is. I'll get to where I want to get when I want to get there. That's pretty much what it is. I'll get to the size that I want to get to when I want to get there, when it feels good to me um, in my process. Um, you don't have to understand it or, or, or like it or agree with it. Um, but my journey is my journey and your journey is your journey. So Sure, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. even as you say that, you know, I have heard or seen online some individuals that would not feel comfortable using the term struggling with their weight. You know, mm-hmm. more like, hey, this is just who I am. Right. I'm, not look, I'm not looking to lose weight. Like, I'm not, uh, just because I'm a certain weight doesn't mean that I'm wrong, bad, different, you know, whatever. Exactly. I just am what I am. But yet I hear you saying that you're wanting to lose weight. H- how does that play out? You know what I mean? In terms, obviously, everybody's on their own journey. But why would you say that you want to lose weight versus others who would say, no, I'm, I'm good? Here's, it's not that I want to lose weight. It's not like I, like I said before, it's not like I have a weight loss plan and a weight loss goal, goal, right? It all comes down to health and how I feel. So there are times where um, I may be feeling great in my body and in my skin and I'm moving great and things are going good for me and that's great. But if I find that I'm not moving great or I'm not feeling good, I listen to my body. And if that means that it's time, hey, Rebecca, you need to sit down and, and look at what it is that you're doing. How are you eating? How are you feeding your body? Why don't you feel good? And then I make those adjustments to, to do that. And when I, when I do that, you lose weight. It's just, it's just when you're feeling healthy, it's just a natural byproduct. It's not something that, like I said, I have a goal to do. But I'm not, for me, I am not under the delusion for myself. I'm not anybody else. That I know that as I get older, carrying the amount of weight that I'm carrying is going to be harder on my joints. And I know that eventually it's going to have to be something that I probably, I I will eventually hurt more. It'll be more difficult and it'll be something I'll have to um, shift my gears a little bit more and focus a little bit more on. But it's never about being uncomfortable with who I am or living out in the world or wanting to be thin or skinny or fit into anybody's um, idea of what beauty is for me, it's always listening to my body, making sure my health is okay. Making sure that, um, I'm moving and and living a good full life. And the moment I can't do that, I have to make some adjustments. Mm -hmm. Cool. What are some of the 
challenges the that you would experience that maybe I wouldn't experience in the world um whether it's you know moving moving around in the world I guess is is what I would say yeah I mean um obviously I'm a bigger size so um there is anywhere that I go I have to be conscious of seating I have to be conscious of you know what my capabilities are for walking like um you know, I recently I was in Vegas um, and, you know, Vegas is a walking town, you know, big giant hotels. So, um, you know, I was conscious of what are my capabilities? Like I can't walk for 10 miles like somebody else can, but um, how can I experience this? That would be good for me. So, you know, I looked at the maps where I was walking and I thought, okay, I can sit there and rest and I could go there and relax. And like, I, I have to think about those things that maybe other people don't have to think about. Um, obviously when I fly, I have to think about how I fly, um, because I want myself to be comfortable. I want other passengers to be comfortable. And thankfully, um, Southwest is my preferred airline. They have no plug here, but they have a customer of size policy where they do help you get a second seat. So everybody's comfortable. So I'm not invading in anybody's space. So that's something that I think about, like, I don't want to invade anybody's space, but I want to be comfortable. Um, I don't expect the world to adapt to me. So I adapt to the world in the best way that I can. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I always think about seating, like, you know, arms on chairs. Um, I I don't want to go to a restaurant with wicker seating, you know, those kind of things, because I just want to make sure that, you know, everybody's comfortable, including myself. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, you know, where I shop, obviously, for clothing and stuff, it's a little bit more difficult than, say, you know, normal-sized people or straight-sized people. I don't know what the term is for that, but um, obviously, you could probably go into any store and find clothing for your size. And typically, for me, I have to do more of an online shopping. Um, there are a few stores I can go in and shop for my clothing, but typically, that's online. So mm-hmm. it's it's little things like that. So you talked a few minutes ago about haters or trolls online. You know, I looked through your YouTube comments and Instagram comments, and you know, my teenage uh, kids and I were looking at it last night, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just brutal. It's just brutal um, what people say. And obviously, YouTube is known as a troll farm. It's just horrible. Nice. But um, h- how do you deal with both online and in the real world? in real life, how do you deal with people who, who say things to you? Cause I'm assuming in real life, you may even hear them say things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was in Vegas, it was a prime example. I had, I had people laughing at me and that's fine. Um, I had actually, I thought it was hysterical, but other people might take offense to it, but there was this big group of middle-aged Korean women that came to, to tour, you know, they had uh, English guides and everything. And um, they were very shocked when they saw me. They wanted to take pictures with me. And they weren't being cruel. They just, I just haven't seen a person of that size before. And it was very shocking to them. And I, I thought it was funny. And I understood the interest right. and the surprise of it. Um, some of my friends and family were like horrified by it. I was like, oh, it's nothing. Um, the the way that. I probably should have (laughs) (laughs) like photo ops, like five bucks a picture, you know, that type of thing. But when it comes to trolls and, and I, and you notice that I leave all the comments on all of my things, Mm -hmm. I don't block them. I don't delete them. 
And, and there's a reason why, because when I, when I talk on my YouTube channel and I, and I do these things, um, I talk about being able to be self-accepting and, and in that self-accepting, there's a, there is a big thing of control. You're in control of your life. You are in control of the way you view life, of your belief systems. Like at the end of your life, when you look back, it's all you, right? So when I, I realized that, I also understood that it was up to me on whether or not I was going to adapt somebody else's ideology for myself. So if somebody was going to call me a fat troll or a pig or I need to be slaughtered or whatever the wonderful things that they tell, tell me on a daily basis, it, I am in control on whether or not I'm going to accept that belief and bring it on to myself hmm. and adapt it to myself. And I leave those up so that I can show people that I have gone and done the work and I've gotten to a place where I, I know so surely who I am. Hmm. The good and the bad, believe me, there's bad parts to myself too. I, I'm so aware of it that I, I know that any comment that somebody says to me, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't faze me because I'm, I'm too aware of who I am. And when I speak about it and I try to teach other people to go through that and, and get to that place too, I want to show them that, hey, you're going to get hate. Um, I get hate. You're going to go through life. You're going to get hate from your family, your friends, your partners, people online. There is there are going to be instances where that comes up, and at those moments, it's going to be the toughest. But it's those moments where you got to look inside, and you have to remember who you are and what you're in control of, and and be able to differentiate back from fiction, mm-hmm. and and not uh, we have this insane especially nowadays in social media, this insane desire to be liked by everybody, to have the most likes on Instagram and have the most followers and show this beautiful, perfect lifestyle. And that's not real life. That's fake life. That's Photoshop life. And I want to show people that this is real life. These are things that you may have to contend with, but you have the power to move through it and smile at those people that are hating on you because you're the only one that knows what's going on in your life. So when those people say something to me, I honestly, I feel kind of bad for them Mm -hmm. because if that's the way that they're spending their life in hate and anger, like I don't want to live my life that way. I know what I feel like when I'm angry and I'm hating. Um, And I, I, I feel bad that they're going through their lives experiencing that too, and then spreading it out in the world. So, uh, you know, everybody's allowed their opinion they can say whatever they want to say. I keep that up to show people that they do have the power to move through that. Such a powerful message. No matter who you are or what your external appearance looks like, I mean, that is just a powerful message that we all need in terms of accepting ourselves and knowing that whatever that negativity that comes our way, that does not have to... I had a um, uh, metaphor that I used a while back that it doesn't have to knock your glass over. It's like, if I have a, a cup or a glass that's full of me, my identity's inside that somebody bumping up against my glass, it, that it tips it over and spills me out everywhere, you mm-hmm. know, and, and kind of knocks me out of whack. I think, no, it doesn't have to do that. I can stay upright. I, I, my identity is, is within me. It's powerful. Um, so yeah, so good. Now to shift gears a little bit and feel free to say I'll pass on any of these questions, but you talk about dating Mm -hmm. that, that is a, you know, for me, I'm like, well, this is interesting, right? Tell me about 
dating because I know everybody's attracted to different people in different mm-hmm. ways. And talk to me about dating as an SSBBW. <laughs> it's actually, I'm very fortunate. I have a very active dating life I've had ever since I've gotten into the community because people don't talk about it because, I mean, obviously, as you know, in the mainstream plus size, people are not very well received. Um, I, I've dated a, a few guys and, and known quite a few guys who don't publicly date big women, even though they're sexually attracted to them. And um, so I've, I've come across both people who like love it and they embrace it and they live on the world. And there, there's a lot of them like, no, I don't, I don't want people to know that because there's this stigma that if you like or are attracted to big women, there's something wrong with you or you're abnormal or you're fetishizing everything. Hmm. And there is a big fetish community in, in liking bigger size women um, or men. And I, I know that, and I have seen that uh, in my dating life. It's been a, it's been a bit of a learning curve, but there's also just a whole bunch of normal guys that just like big women. I mean, I have dated CEOs of companies and musicians, and I mean, I've dated you know car paramen, like like every spectrum uh, that you could think of. I've been very fortunate enough to be able to date and interact with, and most of them are still friends. So um, there. There's no sort shortage, honestly, of of men and women that are attracted to people of size. It's just not talked about because it's taboo, because it's thought of as 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 gross or you know whatever. There's that stigma attached to it. So um, there is plus size dating sites out there that you can sign up for, and I did in the beginning. But honestly, my favorite dating website is a is a normal dating site. It's OkCupid. Um, it's uh, a little bit more in depth. I feel like you could talk a little bit more. It's not so much a, you know, a hookup site or anything like that, but it's more of a dating. And although it doesn't have like, um, it doesn't specialize in like people of size, it, it's, it just has everybody on there, but it's still a really good site. So even as a person of size, I still don't have to just go to the specialized websites. I could still go on normal and find normal everyday guys in my area or around the world or wherever to date. And I've been very fortunate, actually. Would you see yourself uh, wanting to get married or have children someday? Or what do you envision for your that aspect aspect of your life? (laughs) Well, you know, um, your family is listening, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Believe me, my mom calls me on a daily basis. When are you getting married? When are you having kids? Um, the thing is, is I, when I look at relationships and when I, and when I think about partners, and the different kind of relationship dynamics that I've had um, over the years is I can say for certain, I cannot go into any relationship with goals or expectations because when I meet that person that is just going to just light up my world, um, when I meet that person, that's something that we need to decide together because we may decide that we want a monogamous relationship and we might want to have kids, but that's something that we decide together. We may say we want to be poly or, you know, or or maybe we just don't want to get married and we just want to live together. Um, But it has to be something that we decide together that feels right for the both of us. And I can't, I can't, I just, I, I just feel like when you go into dating or when you go into relationships and you're expecting, I want to have kids. I want to have that house. I want to, I want to have this. You're going to end up picking the wrong person. And I am totally okay with being with my cats and dating for the rest of my life and being single 
Like, I mean, I was a hermit for eight years. Believe me, being alone is perfectly fine with me. So I'm okay with that. If I have to wait to build something with somebody that is truly somebody that I truly love and I connect with on on every level that that I'm searching for. So um, I'm okay to wait. And uh, if I have kids, I have kids. If I don't, I don't. You can always have cats. I, I, I love cats. I only have one. But it's like the starter pack for the crazy cat lady. So one what's day, maybe. What's its name? It's a her and her name, her name is Kitty. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Well, you know, more creative. It actually technically it's Psycho Kitty. Because when I first got her, because she's 18 years old now. Okay. When I first got her, she would run around like a crazy cat and like roll on her back and like do these crazy things. I'm like, you're just psycho kitty. So I called her psycho for a long time. And now, now it's just kitty. Just town of kitty. Yep. Mm-hmm. I keep telling my family that I really want a hairless cat. We've never had a cat. You know, they, they say they don't like cats. We have a dog. I would love a hairless cat. That would just be <laughs> awesome. And people, people, I live in Southern California. So we go to like the fancy mall, you know, and everybody brings right. their dog out on a leash or whatever. Right. And so I'm thinking if I could have a hairless cat on a leash, I would be the coolest guy ever at the top of So awesome. Actually, that would be really cool. You would get a lot of people stopping and staring. A lot of pictures. They'd be, I'd be wanting to charge for pictures then. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, I'd, have all, the- I'd have a lineup of Korean tourists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I wonder what that would feel like to pet a hairless cat. Like, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. But I'd like to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're too expensive for me. Yeah. Probably so, they're super expensive. Talk to me about um people struggling with self-acceptance, whether mm-hmm. it's because of something, you know, uh, their outward appearance or you know, I mean, you're talking about weight. There are so many things in our culture, whether it's, um, you know, a, a disability or a limb is missing or mm. there's a problem with eyesight or, you know, I mean, there's right. just a zillion different things that are maybe outside the typical person. Right. People might feel like they're um, struggling with self-acceptance. I struggle with self-acceptance and I would be considered, you know, just an average person person. Right. Um, What would you say to people who are struggling with self-acceptance? Um, that's a really good question. Cause when I, when I talk about self-acceptance, I do speak about how it's a a human problem. It's not just a weight problem Mm -hmm. because as you said, everybody goes through these moments in their lives where, um, you know, they don't like their job or their car or their house, or they don't like the way that they interact with people. I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with, with somebody and you go home and you beat yourself up over it, you know, and you just feel like, Oh God, why did I say that? Why did I do that? So, um, what I always talk about and, and what I've touched upon before is getting to that place of true self-reflection. Um, you know, we often talk about, you know, the, the good things that are about ourselves and our good qualities and stuff like that. But I, I do talk often about, you know, every single person, I don't care who you are, has this I call like a dark side to that. Everybody has that negative portion to themselves. I ref- I reference the yin and the yang. 
because I think it's a perfect representation of, of the human condition. You know, we all have these parts of ourselves that we don't speak about. We may not speak about to our partners or anybody else, but we have deep down inside and we beat ourselves up about it. Um, and we judge ourselves about it and we get stuck in this vicious thought process, this Mm -hmm. cycle of, Oh God, I can't believe I thought that, or I did that. Or, and then it's just like, Oh, I can't believe I'm beating myself up for thinking that and doing that. And it just goes round and round and round. And then you're just stuck. And, and all of a sudden now it's become behavior. Now it's, it's part of your everyday life. And so you're doing it across the board. So when you, when you look within yourself and you say, okay, everybody has I mean, shit parts about them. I mean, I, I just, they just do. Right. Um, and when you get that, that you have these, these bits about you, then you can look at yourself as a whole. And it's kind of like when I admitted I had a food addiction or any addict who, who has uh, an addiction, right? That first you have to admit that there's a problem before you can move forward. So when you look at yourself and you say, okay, this is, the, these are the parts of myself that I don't like. These are the parts of myself that I do like. Okay. So the, when you look at the things, um, that you don't like, you have to figure out if you're willing to deal with the consequences of staying in that space or changing it. Okay. So you can go ahead and, and I like to use this example cause it's non-weight related. So, um, there are times where I get super, super busy and I neglect my friends and family. I don't reach out first. I don't answer their text messages. I kind of, I guess I go back in my hermit mode, but I'm legitimately just busy doing a million things at once. I'm thinking about them in my head. So I don't think I'm neglecting about them. I'm I'm having, you know, I'm talking to them in my head. Like they know what's going on. But then I realized, you know, I haven't answered that text message in three weeks. I haven't done that. And I realized that I'm hurting these people and they come to me and they're like, you're not good at communicating. You're not good at reaching out. And this is hurting me. So um, this is a, a failure of mine. And it's something that I continuously work on. And there was that time where I beat myself up about it. I was like, God, I feel really shitty about this. And how do I even reach out to this person now? Like, how do I even fix this situation? So it was either, Rebecca, you're going to make the steps to fix it and try to be more available and try to communicate and try to repair, or you stay with consequences. And you acknowledge that the consequences are you're going to lose some relationships and this is going to be what, what's going to happen. And, 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 you know, sometimes, and for some people, those consequences are acceptable and that's fine with them. But then you understand, and I know this is getting a little bit, you might wonder why is this getting off like for self-acceptance, but it's very, very important because those faults, those, those little bits of ourselves, that is what we beat ourselves up the most about for self-acceptance. Like I could talk all day long about my positive parts of myself, the things that I love about myself, but it's, it's those little things that get us caught in those negative thought circles. Um, so when you look at yourself and say, Hey, I may have things I have to work on, or maybe I don't want to work on them at all, but knowing that I can love and accept myself as a whole good and bad, not because I'm on some path of, you know, enlightenment or I'm losing weight or I'm going to go do this job. Like, Hey, you know, I'm a gamer who lives at home and I don't have a girlfriend, but that's okay because I'm the shit. I love myself now, good or bad. You know, I'm going to accept who I am now. And I honestly believe 
that when you get to that space of accepting what is negative and what is good, and you get to that place of, of, and I call it good mental health, that's when you're going to start making decisions that improve your life. And that's when you're, when you start realizing that you can break that thought cycle of, of, of self-hatred and of, um, you know, self-deprecation that you can all of a sudden now it doesn't last for three weeks. It only lasts for, you know, three hours and you can break it and then you can move on. And I think that's what self-acceptance is all about. It's learning to love the whole and not the parts. So, I mean, that's a really long explanation, but that's the way that I look at it. And that's what I would tell anybody on their path to self-acceptance. I love it. So you're saying we're a whole person, mm-hmm. not just to love the pretty parts, but mm-hmm. the, the challenging parts, mm-hmm. the, the parts that maybe we don't, we don't uh, value at this moment or the parts that other people don't value. How do we love our, our whole selves? And actually, I hear what you're saying is that as we love our whole selves, we actually begin to have the grace to improve or it creates space to yes. uh, improve our lives in whatever way. Absolutely. But if we're just hating ourselves, we're probably going to result in some sort of self-medicating behavior. Um, right. Like for me, it's probably going to be something fried, fried chicken, fried, <laughs> you know, catfish, fried right. okra, you know, mm, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Food for me is, has been a medication um, in the past. And so, uh, but if we, if we focus on the, like, not just the positive, but self-acceptance, I'm on a journey, I'm growing, I'm learning, that -hmm. it creates space for growth. That's what I'm hearing you say. Right. And, and to acknowledge the fact that for some people, they don't want to change certain things about themselves. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, and that's a very real reality, and I do speak about this, then accepting the consequences to that. Yeah. And, and, and being real with yourself that then this is going to happen, but that's okay. I'm still going to love the whole Mm -hmm. and, and and I'm still going to get to that. You know, I'm still going to just love everything and not get, you know, into that headspace of negativity. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we all know people that, um, I say we all know people, but I know a lot of people who like to, they live their life of playing like the victim. They're always having to be the victim. And, mm-hmm. you know, and some, so I, you know, I've, I've met some people on their journey who just, they want to be that, like, they mm-hmm. don't want to be anything other. They accepted that that is a part of what they want to do. That is something that they want to hang on to. And that's just their reality. So, um, like I said, not everything comes out rainbows and sunshine, but, it does for the majority of people does help them start improving because I don't look as self-acceptance as a, like I said, like a path to enlightenment or a journey of progress to a better way of living. I think it's a, it's a better headspace for mental health for your life. And if the byproduct and most often the byproduct will be that enlightenment, that good headspace, but it's, it should never be, you should never get do this because anybody else is making you feel like you need to. Hmm. Okay. Cause that's one thing that, um, you know, I, like, like I said, like weight loss, I feel like weight loss doesn't work when you're doing it because society tells you or your partner's telling you or anybody mm-hmm. else is telling you when you're getting, when you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I love you so much that I'm going to start listening to my body. I'm going to start doing the things that my body is telling me to do. Not mm-hmm. because anybody else is telling me then you're going to be successful. Then it's going to be long lasting. And then you're going to have a rich and full life. Mm. So, I mean, yes, you summarized it great. And then I kind of just picked it apart. All That's <laughs> all know? good. Yeah, it's great. But that's just, yeah, that's the way that I look at it. 
I love it. All right. So we want to direct people toward your website, YouTube channel, and all of that. I think the best place for them to go will be your website, which is bexbedford.com, correct? B-E-X. B-E-X. Bedford, B-E-D-F-O-R-D.com. And we'll put all of the links to all of your social media accounts in our show notes, of course. Mm -hmm. So Bex, it is so awesome to meet you. And uh, you are beautiful and you're super smart. And uh, I love you the way that you articulate your, you know, your experience in the world. And um, I think you're just so inspiring as you're connecting with people and sharing your message of self-acceptance. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks so much for listening today. And if you'd like to check out Bex's podcast or vlog, go to BexBedford.com. That's B-E-X. B-E-D-F-O-R-D.com, or you can find all the links in our show notes, which you can find on your phone or at insporising.com. Now, as you go out today, may you be inspired by Bex on your own journey of self-acceptance. Please know that you are loved just the way you are. We're all learning, growing, and doing the best we can with the tools we have. Let's keep rising together. Talk to you next time.